This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, I know there are a number of listeners out there who really like the stories of the early West. Well, we got a dandy for you tonight. William Boyd had worked as an orange picker, surveyor, tool dresser, even an auto salesman. In Hollywood, he found work as an extra. More prominent film roles followed, and he became famous as a leading man in silent film romances, earning an annual salary of, get this, $100,000. Radio Pictures ended Boyd's contract in 1931 when his picture was mistakenly run in a newspaper story about the arrest of another actor, William Stage Boyd, on gambling and liquor charges. And although the newspaper apologized, explaining the mistake in the following day's newspaper, Boyd said the damage was already done. William Stage Boyd died in 1935, the same year that William L. Boyd became... Hopalong Cassidy, the role that led to his enduring fame. But at the time in 1931, Boyd was virtually broke and without a job. The original character of Hopalong Cassidy character was changed from a hard-drinking, rough-living, red-headed wrangler to a cowboy hero who didn't smoke, swear, or drink alcohol, his drink of choice being sarsaparilla, and who always let the bad guy start the fight. And I must admit, I found the story of how he became financially secure fascinating. The producer, Harry Pop Sherman, wanted to make more ambitious epics and abandon the Hopalong Cassidy franchise. William Boyd insisted on buying the rights to all of the Hopalong Cassidy films. He was so single-minded about his mission that he sold or mortgaged almost everything he owned to meet Sherman's price of $350,000 for the rights and the film backlog. So in 1948, Boyd, now regarded as a washed-up cowboy star with his fortunes at their lowest ebb, brought a print to one of the older pictures to the local NBC television station and offered it at a nominal rental, hoping for new exposure. Well, the film was received so well that NBC asked for more, and within months, Boyd released the entire library to the national network. They became extremely popular and began the long-running genre of westerns on television. Boyd's desperate gamble paid off, making him the first national TV star and restoring his personal fortune. Here, then, is William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and the episode Secret in the Hill. With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early West. 
Hopalong Cassidy. The same Hoppy you cheer in motion pictures. And the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired. For this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and Andy Clyde as California. What's our story this time, Hoppy? It's one that I feel mighty lucky I'm alive and able to tell. Because it's about a time California and I had our narrowest escape. We call it the secret in the hill. Early one morning, we were riding through the Chenango Pass country when we noticed a sign nailed to a fence post. I pulled off the trail to read it. I don't like this, California. Listen to what this says. $500 reward. Wanted, dead or alive, killer of Fred Benson. Son of Wade Benson of Chenango Pass. By order, Sheriff. If they get a reward up for him, he's probably run halfway to hallelujah by now. Maybe so. But he might still be around playing possum. I don't know, Huffy. Seems only reasonable for a killer to vamoose if he got the chance. It depends on how and why the victim was killed. If we find the reason for Fred Benson's murder, we'll find his killer. We will? Sure. Uh, You mean uh, you want us to find a reason we don't know why a murderer we don't know killed a man we don't know? Uh, 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 No, no. That's just too many things we don't know, (laughs) Mark. Then we'd better start learning the answers right now. Come on. We're riding for Chenango Pass to catch a killer. Nobody answers, Hoppy. You figure this is the right place? Yeah. Wade Benson's name is on the gate. Knock again. You two, I got you covered. What? Uh, there, uh, look, Hoppy. He's covering us from the window with a rifle. And I'll just keep it pointing at you while you state your business here. I don't state anything with a rifle aimed at me, stranger. But if you're Wade Benson, we're here as friends. That ain't saying who you are. I'm Hopalong Cassidy. This is my partner, California Carlson. Hopalong Cassidy? I'll be a son of a gun. Just a second, I'll get the door open for you. Hmm. Mighty queer way for Benson to welcome callers with a rifle in his hands. With a murderer loose, he probably figures on playing safe. Well, come right in, gents. I, I apologize for that business at the window. I've been kind of leery of strangers lately. I understand, Benson. Uh, come on out, Ma. It's all right. Ma, meet Hoplon Cassidy and California Carlson. Why, howdy. Howdy, ma'am. Won't you sit down? Thank you, ma'am. Well, you folks may be wondering why California and I are here. The reason is we saw the sign down the road about your son being killed. You think you can do something about catching the skunk that murdered Fred? I don't know yet. First, I'd like to find out why he was killed. Did your son have any enemies around here? Enemies? He didn't know anybody hereabouts. Why, he hardly even talked to anybody before he was shot. Well, here's the whole story, Mr. Cassidy. Ma and me come out here just a month ago. We had our savings, $10,000, and we got a chance to buy this gold mine. Fred was studying to be a mining engineer in a college back east, and we wanted to surprise him. So we bought the mine with our savings. A gold mine for $10,000? Didn't that seem pretty cheap? Well, maybe, but the record showed that $100,000 in gold had been taken out of that mine in two years. We're no doubt about it. I see. So what happened after you bought the mine? 
Well, we tried to get a loan at the bank in Columbia City for cash to work the mine. They told us the mine was no good. All worked out. I've heard of that happening before. The gold vein peters out and there just ain't nothing left. Yeah, that's what they told me. I tried to find the slicker sold me the mine, but a fellow named Slim Daniels. But he'd skipped out. We wrote our boy Fred about it. And he'd come out just as soon as he could get here. Fred figured maybe there just might be a chance we could get a little more gold out in that mine. Maybe get our money's worth back. So the morning after he got here, he set out to look over the mine. That's the last time we saw him. Yeah. He was found late in the afternoon. Shot dead. Huh. It's sure hard to figure. Wait, uh, just what did Fred do during the day? Did he go right to the mine? No. First, Fred borrowed some tools from Rod Black's mine supply store over in town. Then went to the mine. Ooh, around noontime, he sent a note for me to the store by an old prospector called Pat Mule Parker. Rod Black brung it to me later. Said the mine was no good. That's all we know. Fred sent a note? Exactly what did it say, Benson? Well, I still got it right here in my wallet. You read it yourself, Mr. Cassidy. Uh, let's see. It says there's no gold at all. It's a dead mine. Yes, that's pretty different about the mine being no good. Too bad you couldn't get something out of it for your 10000 Oh, Rod Black offered us $1,000. Says he can salvage the equipment. Ore buckets and rock-crushing machinery and such stuff. He said something. So that's the story. Fred examined the mine, sent this note, and was killed. Well, that's it, Mr. Cassidy. His murderer seems to have got away. The low-down, sneaking snake. Even a snake leaves a trail, Benson. And I don't intend to let this one get away. Now back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, The Secret in the Hill. Hoppy in California are looking into the killing of Fred Benson, who was found mysteriously shot after he had inspected a worthless gold mine his father had bought. Having heard the story of the murder from old Mr. and Mrs. Wade Benson, Hoppy and California have ridden to the place close by the mine where Fred's body was found. Notice something, California? All these boulders around here give plenty of cover for whoever ambushed Fred Benson. Anyone on this trail could be followed for miles without knowing it. Sure. Why, the killer could be hiding behind some boulder 20 feet from where we're standing right now, and uh, we'd never know it. Sure. <laughs> what in suffering blue blazes is that? Somebody laughing. The question is, where is it? <laughs> Skin me for a jackrabbit. Hey, uh, here he comes, Hoppy, from behind that big rock. Well, what were you up to hiding those rocks, stranger? to show you how right she was about a body could hide out in these rocks. Me and Molly been following you for a mile. Heard every word you said, too. <laughs> Molly? Uh, who's that? Who's that, he wants to know. Come on out here, Molly, and say howdy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at there, Hoppy. Molly's a mule. Yeah, a pack mule. I guess you're pack mule Parker then, stranger. Yes, me, pack mule Parker. And since you know who I am, I reckon you knows everything around here belongs to me and you're trespassing on my property. Your property? You mean you got title to all this land? Title? I don't take no stock in titles. I come out here 30 years ago when there weren't nothing but coyotes and jackrabbits living in these here hills. 
I had the first one here. Everything all around here is mine by natural rights. I see. And so you consider anyone who comes by a trespasser? Sure. Keeps me mighty busy protecting my property. Watching everyone that comes poking around. Listen, Parker. Were you watching that mine over there two weeks ago when young Benson came here? Sure. Saw him get in, saw him come out. Fred Benson gave you a note to deliver, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I come down to warn him off the property... But he gave me two bits to take this note to Rod Black's store so Rod could give it to his pa. He's a real nice boy, too. All smiling and happy about something. Anyhow, I just went along and delivered the note to Rod straight away. You say Fred Benson was smiling and happy? He sure was. I see. You know that Fred Benson was killed right here that same afternoon, don't you, Parker? Sure, I know it. Hey! Hey, where are you going? Get away from Molly! I'm just admiring this rifle strapped on the mule, Parker. Pretty old, beautiful handmade gun. Oh, yeah. I brought it out from Kentucky with me. With that rifle, I can pick a flea off in a skunk's ear at a thousand yards. Did you ever maybe pick off a trespasser like Red Benson and what you call your property? Oh, look at here, stranger. Whether I did or whether I didn't, ain't nothing that you got to talk about. Give me back my gun, mister. Sure, here you are. Oh, wait a minute. What's this you got carved on the gun stock? Uh, that's my signature. Can't you see? Oh, yes, of course. Well, California, let's get on to Rod Black's store in Chenango Pass. I want to talk with him. So long, Parker. Uh, better be goodbye, because I don't want you trespassing on my property. If you got any notions to go poking around down that mine yonder, I'm warning you, you might never come out again. That's all I got to say. Come on, you know, Hoppy, I get two ideas about Pat Mule Parker. One, <laughs> he's plumb loony, and two, he shot Fred Benson. California, there's no doubt that you're at least half right. Howdy. Which one of you men is Rod Black? That's me, stranger. You looking for something in the way of mining equipment? No, just now I'm looking for some information. You don't say. Information? About what? Fred Benson. Fred Benson, eh? Well, who are you to be asking about Fred Benson? I'm Hopalong Cassidy, and this is California Carlson, my partner. Well, Hopalong Cassidy. Uh, well, now, about Fred Benson... The sheriff's laid up with a busted leg, and being a deputy, I'm handling this shooting case myself. Then I'd like to hear your ideas about the murder, Black. He ain't got no ideas. Everybody except Rod knows that only two people could have killed Benson. So? Well, Black, what about these two people who could have shot Benson? And Cassidy, it's this way. There's a loony old coot named a pack mule Parker. Yeah, we ran into him. He's got the mistaken idea that he owns practically all the mining country around here and has to protect it against trespassers. Is it your idea that Parker figured Fred Benson was trespassing on his property and shot him? Well, ain't no question Parker's loony, and of course he might have done it. All right, that's one suspect. What about the other? Now, I ain't sure of this neither, but uh, some folks think it could have been Slim Daniels. Slim Daniels? Uh, ain't that the feller uh, that sold that worked-out gold mine to old Benson and then skipped out? He didn't skip out. Folks seen him skulking around through the hills. Ain't no mistake in that pinto he rides. That's right, Cassidy. Some folks figure Fred Benson met up with Slim by accident. 
Fred demands the money back and goes for Daniels. Slim pulls his gun and shoots the boy. It's possible, of course. Yeah, but it's all guesswork. We need proof, some evidence. Well, how you figure you're going to get evidence, Mr. Cassidy? Fred was shot shortly after he'd been down looking into that mine. There must be a connection. I'm going down into the mine to find it. Now, Cassidy, we're willing to help you run down whoever done the killing. But you don't need our help poking into that hole. Anyhow, good luck to you. Uh, Cassidy, I personally figure you'll be wasting time going into that mine. And besides, it's like to be kind of dangerous. Seems like the idea that mine's mighty dangerous is kind of popular. Old Parker hinted at it, too. That's right, Black. Why is it dangerous? And these hills is kind of a loose rock formation. And that mine Benson bought never had enough timber and put up inside. A tunnel ceiling could easy cave in. I still think we'll take the chance, Black. After all, Fred Benson came out of the mine all right. Sure, sure, Cassidy. It's your own neck you're risking. All right, then. We'd like to borrow a few things from your stock, Black. A couple of picks, some candles, and a few sticks of dynamite. Well, if you're looking for gold in that mine, even dynamite won't help you. Well, here's your stuff. Here's picks, candles, dynamite, some fuse, and caps. Oh, will that do you? Yeah, that'll be fine. Well, I'll just take it into the back room, put it all in a sack for you. Be right out. I ain't saying I like the idea of going down in that hole, Hoppy. Uh, what you figuring looking for down there? For whatever it was Fred Benson found that made him happy and smiling when he came out and met Pack Mule Parker. Hoppy, I flat refuse to go with you. Why, California, what do you mean? I refuse to go unless first we stop at that hash house down the street and eat a two-pound beefsteak. I'm nice, star. <laughs> All right, California. Judging from the looks of that broken-down hash house, a good steak will be as scarce as the gold in Benson's mind. Here you are, Cassidy. Picks, candles, dynamite, fuse. All in the sack, yeah. Anything else I can do for you? Just wish us luck, Black. Well, you'll sure need luck going into that mine. Uh, forget the mine, Black. Uh, wish us luck with our beef steak. <laughs> Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, The Secret in the Hill. Hoppy, I feel like we've been walking through this tunnel for miles. Well, I think we're nearly at the end of the shaft. Watch it, California. Here's another sharp turn. Well, here we are. Kind of widens into a sort of room here. This is as far as the mine goes. Yeah, and I'm sure glad it don't go no further. Let's set our candles on this rock shelf. Now, give me one of those picks. I want to probe these walls a bit. Right. And I'll open the sack and I'll... Up. Up. Don't take another step forward. Move back slow. This way. What? Just in front of you, Hoppy. Rattlesnakes. That was close. There are dozens of them. And dozens. Look yonder, Hoppy. There's a whole swarming pile of them. Thunder. Sure enough, it's a den of rattlers. They often hole up in an underground place like this. Some of them are crawling toward the tunnel. Uh, we better get out of here, Hoppy. I ain't hankering to wade through rattlesnakes. All right, California. Let's move out along the wall here. You don't need to tell me twice. Uh... Oh, what the devil! Get out of the tunnel! What? Uh... <laughs> Hoppy. Uh, 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 the whole t- 
tunnel's caved in. It's blocked solid. What's the snake? Come over here. Hoppy, we're trapped down here. And we can't kill off all these rattlers. Look, they're swarming out of that cleft in the rock. Quick, pick up some of these splintered timbers. Start a fire. That'll keep the snakes back. Yeah, give me a candle. I'll start some of these slivers. Now, some more of the bigger pieces. <coughs> there, that'll do it for now. <coughs> yeah, for now, but what do we do next, Hoppy? Why? Listen, I, I don't hear nothing but them rattlers swirling. No, I hear something beyond that wall. What's water? The cave-in must open up a fissure. That's an underground stream. Oh, I ain't worrying about dying of thirst. Not with all them rattlers ready to get us as soon as the fire goes out. Look, notice there's not as much smoke in here as there should be. That means air's coming in. Where? Look there, the smoke is moving toward the wall where the water sound comes from. Yeah. There's an underground stream that means that there's some sort of tunnel. And the air movement means there's an opening. Hey, but hop here, you gone loco. There ain't no door in that rock wall, no matter what's beyond. But we've got dynamite. We'll blast an opening. Sure, but... No, no, no. Hold on, Hoppy. The explosion in this small space, it'll kill us. Ah, but that big rock in the far corner will give us some protection. But that's not the only risk. When we blast open the wall, if that underground stream is on a higher level than we are, the water will come pouring in here and drown us. Well, that'll be quicker and better than waiting for these rattlers to kill us. I'll get out the dynamite. Good. I'll scatter this fire to drive the snakes back from the wall. Then find a place to wedge in the dynamite. Bobby, here's the dynamite. Four stakes. But... But no cap. We can't explode it without caps. No caps? No. Hmm. That tunnel didn't cave in of itself. It was dynamited. Somebody removed the caps from the sack so that we couldn't blast our way out of here. But who could have took the caps? We hit the sack and we... we... didn't actually see Rod put the caps in. We weren't watching the sack in the restaurant. When we first came to the mine, we left the sack outside for several minutes while we made sure the tunnel timbering was safe. Well, no matter who the dirty barman was who took him, he's finished us for good. Now we... We ain't got a chance, Hoppy. There's one chance, California, just one. Give me that dynamite. Huh? Yeah, yeah, here you are. But what good is it without cap? There. I got it wedged in the rock wall. It'll take all four sticks to do the trick, though. Yeah, but I still don't see, Hoppy. Uh, what you're gonna do with that revolver cartridge? I'm taking out the lead ball. I'm gonna put the blank cartridge in the end of the stick of dynamite. That'll act as a detonator. Just like a cap. That's how we'll explode the dynamite. But you'll have to have some way to explode the cartridge first. Correct. We'll get behind that rock in the corner. And I'll try to hit the cartridge cap and the dynamite with a shot from my revolver. That'll explode it if I don't miss. If I do miss, my bullet will just break up the dynamite. It's one shot, one chance. One shot. There's hardly no light in here, Hoppy, and what little light there is is all kind of wavy and flickering, and it'll be an impossible shot, Hoppy. I know, California, but it's our one chance to escape. Otherwise, we'll stay trapped in here. Yeah, yeah, it's rattlesnakes are drowning, or the explosion itself might kill us. Uh, well, uh, what are we waiting for? Shoot, Harvey. All right. Crouch down behind me. You ready? Here goes. Oh! I feel like I've been through a rock crusher after squeezing up through that crack the blast opened up, Hoppy. But 
just seeing this daylight is all the cure I need. Well, somebody didn't intend that we should ever see daylight again. Somebody took those caps. Somebody blasted that mine tunnel so that we'd be trapped in there for keeps. Yeah, and just let me get my hands on my low-down, sneaking, crawling, murdering son of a skunk, and I'll... I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> You'll do what? I, I, I'm gonna take this nice big jagged rock along with me as a souvenir and bounce it off on the varmint's skull. <laughs> but we gotta find out who it is first. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Let me see that piece of rock. Huh? Uh, this? Uh, why, sure. There you are. Uh, yeah... Yeah, that's it. Let's get to our horses. I got the answer to everything now. I reckon he's out in the back room. Black? Rod Black. Who is it? Come out here to the front of your store. What? 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 Carson, I didn't expect you back so soon. The murderer didn't expect us to be back at all. Uh, what do you mean? Just this, Flack. Fred Benson's killer saw to it that there was no dynamite caps in that sack when we got down into the mine. Then he blasted the tunnel trying to bury us alive. But uh, why should he want to kill you? Because the murderer figured we'd find out what Fred Benson found down in that mine. And what was that? It was what Fred Benson wrote on the note he sent you to give to his father. Why, uh... The note only said there wasn't no gold in the mine, that it was, well, the way he put it, a dead mine. No, Black. What Fred wrote was, there's no gold at all. It's a lead mine. Someone changed the L in lead to a D. That's the reason Fred was killed, so that only the murderer would know that the mine was full of lead ore worth a fortune. Then what you saw in this chunk of rock I picked up was lead? That's right, California. Our blast uncovered a big vein of lead. That's what Fred had discovered. That's why he was happy when Parker met him. And that's what he tried to tell his father in that note. Well, then that settles it. Pack Newell Parker, bring me the note. He must have changed the word lead to dead. He must have shot Fred Benson to protect the secret. And he easy could have swiped the caps out of the sack when he weren't looking. Why, sure. No, Black, it wasn't Parker. I examined that antique rifle of his. It won't shoot. The hammer's rusted tight. And what's more, Parker can't write. He's got what he calls his signature carved on the rifle stock. It's an X. A mark a man makes instead of a signature when he can't write. Well, now, that being so, it throws it right back to Slim Daniels, wouldn't you say? No, I wouldn't say. The idea of the fight between them won't stand up. Fred couldn't have recognized Daniels as the man who sold his father the mine because he'd never seen Daniels. Why, uh, you never... uh... Now, who is the murderer? Why, I just can't guess. You, Black... You're the only one who had a chance to change the note. Me? Then you offered to buy out old Benson for $1,000. It wasn't for the mine machinery and equipment. Well, I just It was because you knew the secret in the hill, that there was lead in the mine worth a fortune. So he's the killing boss. No, 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 hey, that's just a guess. You got no proof. You can't accuse a man without proof. You said that yourself, Cassidy. Black? I want to see you. That's old Pack Mule Parker. What do you want, Parker? We're busy. What do I want, he asked. I'll tell you what I want. Damages. Payment for damages from you, Rod Black. Get out of here, you crazy old fool. Get out, he says. I'll get out when you pay me another four. With my own eyes, I seen you dynamite that mine tunnel, blowing up my personal property. Hey, he's reaching for a gun. Stand back, all of you. You're not going to take me. I tell you, I'll shoot you all before you... 
Hey, he's out cold. What hit him? Just that chunk of rock from the mine I flung at him, Hoppy. <laughs> I said I was going to bounce it off in the skull of whomsoever was the murdering barman. Good work, California. Now will you time up, all ready for delivery to the U.S. Marshal for arrest for murder. Hey, Rod Black is going to be arrested. How'll I collect my damages? You'll collect all right, Parker. You were saying you saw black dynamite the mine was all we needed to prove his guilt. You'll get the $500 reward. Me? $500? Sure. Why, I'll be rich. Molly can have all the oats she can eat forever. <laughs> Where'd I tell Molly? <laughs> <laughs> well, the $500 will take care of Pack Mule Parker... Their lead mine will take care of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Benson, and the law will take care of Rod Black. There's uh, just one more thing that ought to be took care of before we leave Chenango Pass shopping. What's that, California? My appetite. Today we come so close to never eating again, I'm hungry all over. <laughs> California, you don't mean to say you want another two-pound beefsteak? Nope. And this time I'll take a four-pounder. <laughs> California's appetite doesn't entirely run along the lines of adventure, does it? But when Hoppy and his sidekick go after snakes, whether they be murderers or a mine filled with rattlers, you can be sure that a snake of any kind is no match for them. Our next adventure with Hoppy in California takes place in Abilene, where a beautiful redhead becomes the victim of a murder. And the guilty man might have got away with it if it hadn't been for the memory of Mace Malott. Don't miss it. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr. The Secret in the Hill was written by Paul Adams, with original music under the personal direction of Albert Glasser. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson Wax products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra.
You know what an auction room is. It's an indoor junkyard. Where if the auctioneer catches you nodding, you're the new owner of an antique cobbler's bench that your ten-year-old son could have made a better one in manual training. But auctions have a definite fascination for some people, among them being Fibber McGee and Molly. Ten dollars. Ten dollars, a man says. Ten dollars for this lovely tea caddy. A genuine antique, a gift from Julius Caesar to Marie Antoinette. Do I have 15? 15. For goodness sakes, McGee, stop bidding. We don't need a tea caddy. I can carry my own tea. (laughs) Oh, I won't get it. I'm just having fun. I get a bang out of auctions. Somebody will top my bid like... 17.50. See? (laughs) 17.50, I'm bid. Do I have 20? Going once at 17.50? Going twice at 17.50? Going three times to seventeen fifty. Sold for three times seventeen fifty. Which is exactly fifty-two fifty to the lucky gentleman in the fourth row. Well, I never heard of such a thing. Come on, McGee, let's go home. The weather is cleared up and we've proved we knew enough to come in out of the rain. Oh, let's stick around a while. I love these things. <laughs> Item four twelve, as you will see by your catalogs, ladies and gentlemen. This is an inlaid high boy. High boy. Hi. <laughs> This is an inlaid high boy of rosewood and ivory from the palace of the Grand Duke, which was situated on the rafters of the Danube. To prove it's authentic, ladies and gentlemen, on this faded old label, we can still make out the words grand and rapid. <laughs> what am I bid for this lovely piece, which was a gift from Cleopatra to Henry VIII? $25. Heavenly days, that sounds like Mrs. Carstairs. McGee, it is Mrs. Carstairs. Well, she's made her bid. She'll have to lie in it. $25, I'm bid. Who'll make it 30? 30 for that broken down old... 30, I hear. Who'll make it 40? Do I hear 40? McGee, for goodness sakes, be quiet. If nobody says 40, you're stuck for the... I hear 40. What? <laughs> the lady with the little man in the rear bids 40. Now, just a darn minute, Butch. $50. Ah, $50. Do I hear 75? Going once at 50. Twice. Sold for $50 to Mrs. Carstairs. Shall we deliver it for you, Mrs. Carstairs? Thank you, no. My chauffeur will call for you. Yoo-hoo! Hello there, Mrs. Carstairs. <laughs> oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? Hi, Carsty. That was quite a slug of moolah you just put out for that worm-eating pile of condemned lumber. <laughs> Darn thing's got three legs like Queen Anne and one like Leon Earl. <laughs> oh, I guess Mrs. Carstairs knows what she's doing, dearie. I happen to be buying this high boy for my husband, Mr. McGee. Mr. Carstairs is extremely fond of antiques. <laughs> There's as perfect a straight line as I ever heard. <laughs> but I haven't got the heart to deliver the bomb. That's a pretty heavy piece of furniture for your chauffeur to handle, Mrs. Carstairs. And maybe McGee would help him carry it out. Oh, thank you, my dear, but my footman will assist him. We still have one footman, you know, although our domestic staff has been cut to the bone. He has? How? <laughs> Slicing toast for hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Did I tell you, Mrs. McGee, that I was forced to discharge my upstairs maid last week? Oh, no, that's too bad, Mrs. Carstairs. Why? The impudent girl came downstairs. 
Uh, tell me, Mrs. Carstairs, do you plan to stay in town all summer? We're undecided, my dear. We might go to our hunting lodge in Maine, our chalet in the Berkshires, our hacienda in Acapulco, or we may visit our orange groves in Santa Barbara. Uh, what kind of oranges do you raise, Carsty? Valencias or navels? The latter, Mr. McGee, although we refrain from using the more vulgar term. <laughs> Mr. Carstairs and I refer to them as Citrus Umbilicus. <laughs> good day, Mrs. McGee. Oh, good day, Mrs. Carstairs. Boy, boy, oh boy, what a character. You and she don't seem to get along, do you, McGee? I get along all right, but she don't. <laughs> she forgets the upper crust is just a lot of crumbs held together by their own dough. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, item 413 in the catalog, a genuine dreadnought trunk, 75 years old, contents unknown from the estate of Mr. J. Farthington Campwell. Crampwell? Hey, he's the rich millionaire that had all his money hid around his house. Why, that trunk might be full of cash. Not very likely, dearie. His estate spent 40 years in probate court. Well? If there was any money in that trunk, there'd be three lawyers sitting on the lid. <laughs> well, just the same, I got a good... What am I bit for this steady, interesting old trunk, ladies and gentlemen? A dreadnought trunk is practically indestructible. Two dollars. The little man bids two dollars. A ridiculous offer, friends. Two dollars for a handsome trunk which might contain valuable property worth thousands of dollars. Four dollars. <laughs> Four dollars. Five dollars. Five dollars. Six dollars. Six dollars. Ah, what spirited bidding, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Will some mad, impulsive spendthrift raise the bid to six fifty? Seven bucks. Seven dollars the little man offers. Let's stop matching nickels, ladies and gentlemen, and get on with business, huh? This is an auction sale, not... Nine dollars, and that's my last offer. Now, McGee, if you plan to put that moth-eaten old grab bag in our hall closet now... Nine dollars I'm bid, do I hear? Ten dollars. Ten dollars and three cents. What was that again, son? I says ten dollars and three cents. Take your earmuffs off, Buster. Spring is here. <laughs> Going once at ten dollars and three cents. Going twice. Sold to the short sport and a long sweater. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Here we go again. And here's your dough, wise guy, in cash. Ah, and a pleasant surprise it is, my friend. Will you take it with you, or shall I have our 12 beautiful dancing girls carry you home in it? Well, that's an interesting question, McGee. How do we get it home? You stay here a minute, Molly. I'll go get a cab, and the driver will help you load it on. Hurry, McGee. Uh, do you really think this trunk has something valuable in it, Mr. Auctioneer? Lady, I'm going to be honest for the first time today. That's the worst hunk of junk that ever broke an express company's heart. And I wouldn't give you a counterfeit dime for it if it was full of nylons, T-bones, and Greg arson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, item 14 on... Billy Mills in the orchestra and Green.
Boy, is that trunk heavy. Phew. Cab driver said he hadn't had a bigger load on since New Year's Eve. <laughs> You're not going to leave it out here on the porch, are you? Why not? Well, people might think we'd just come back from someplace. In which case, they must have thought we'd been away. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't miss us any more than that, my feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I better get it in the house at that. If it's full of money, it'll be safer inside. Yes, it would. Open the door, will you? Okay. One, two, three. This, this. That's the heaviest piece of luggage I ever saw. Hey, but Molly, did you hear it jingle when we moved it? Yeah, what do you suppose it's full of? Pie tins? Look, Snooky, these trunks haven't been manufactured for 75 years. Oh, really? And 75 years ago, they used gold money. Oh? If this trunk is full of $10 gold pieces, for instance, why, we're modestly rich. In a totally sort of a way. We're also in trouble with Uncle Sam, aren't we? No, the government will pay us 32 bucks an ounce for gold. Or something like that. And this thing must weigh 300 pounds. Allowing 60 pounds for the trunk, that leaves 240 pounds. 16 times 240 is how much? 3,840. Though I'd like to check that with the quiz kids. <laughs> Boy, that's near enough. 3,840 times 32 bucks is, ooh. 122,880. Wow. 123,000 bucks. Why, we're rich, Molly. Now I can take Anthony Adverse back to the public library. <laughs> now, wait a minute, McGee. Before we fill the swimming pool with champagne, hadn't we better see what's actually in this trunk? Oh, sure, but it's just a formality, kiddo. Suppose it's only got $5 gold pieces in it. And still 60,000 frog skins. Where's my keys? Ah, here they are. Now, oh, we'll see. That little one in the middle looks like it might fit. That's the key to the padlock on the tool shed on Uncle Sycamore's ranch that I stayed at in 1915. <laughs> Heavenly days, don't you ever throw away a key? Nope. No good? No. Nope. I'll try this one. Key to a briefcase I had when I sold insurance in 1919. <laughs> nope. Too flat. You could pry it open with a crowbar, McGee, or drop it out of an upstairs window if you find nine friends stupid enough to carry it upstairs. Oh, no. Just wait a minute. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things, Tootsie, and I haven't used up the wrong ways yet. <laughs> now, let's see if I... Hello, Mr. McGee and Mrs. McGee. Creepers, what's the trunk for? Going someplace? We're going every place, Alice, if this trunk is as full of money as himself here thinks. <laughs> we bought it at an auction. Used to belong to a rich millionaire, Alice, a miser, J. Farthington Crampwell, the third. And when he kicked off, they found money hid all over his house. Oh. Yeah, overlooking this trunk, of course, out of sheer courtesy to Mr. McGee. Yeah. Well, jeepers, who'd be dumb enough to think of a trunk like this being full of money? Well, I don't like to mention names, Alice. <laughs> I don't like to mention names, but I could stroke his five o'clock shadow from where I'm standing. Okay, okay, scoff if you want to. Be right. But by George, when I get this trunk open and start counting out cold cash, you got any trunk keys, Alice? <laughs> no, I haven't, Mr. McGee. I don't own a trunk. I just have airplane luggage. Oh, do you like airplane travel, Alice? Do I, creamy, to sail along 15,000 feet in the air with your meals brought to you and no tipping, and with those good-looking pilots saying excuse me when they bump into your elbow that you stuck out when you saw them coming and everything? <laughs> Jeepers, I'll bet I'd love it if I ever tried it. 
look, kids, this chatter is very amusing, I'm sure, but with a 40-cent lock standing between me and 100,000 bucks, I'm in no mood for Priddle Prattle. <laughs> you got any keys, Alice? Well, here's a key to my toolbox at the factory. Try it, McGee. Okay. No, no. That won't unlock it. Isn't that a coincidence? It won't unlock my toolbox either. <laughs> It won't? Well, then how do you work if you can't get at your tools? Oh, I don't keep them in my toolbox. They get it too dirty. <laughs> you see, it's a toolbox that one of the boys that he works with the next bench made for me. Uh-huh. Things have changed since my day, I guess. I always had to give girls candy or flowers. Now you got to woo a gal with a hunk of sheet iron and five hours overtime. <laughs> well, he made me a perfectly super toolbox, Mr. McGee. Yeah. I keep my bobby pins and nail polish and compact in it. Mm-hmm. But I can't get the toolbox open, so I look simply a mess at work. Mm. Well, why don't you take some extra cosmetics along, Alice? And hurt the boy that he works at the next bench to me's feelings? Oh, no. Well, I hope you get the trunk open, Mr. McGee. Well, thanks, kid. <clears throat> She was a big help. Well, you bought this trunk, dearie. Getting it open is your problem. Well, don't worry. I'll get it open. Let me try some more of these keys. Let's see. Ah, dear. Talk about inefficiency. I'll bet you don't know what two-thirds of those keys are for. Oh, I don't, eh? Well, for your information, Mrs. McGee, this key here is for the ignition lock on that Apperson jackrabbit I used to drive for old Mr. Balderson back in Peoria. Well, that was 30 years ago. Well, he told me not to lose it, didn't he? <laughs> and this key here is to... Well, I'll admit that one's no good. Here, throw it away. Uh, do you mind if I don't? No, why? That's the key to our front door. <laughs> yes, my gosh, I never even noticed Hello, that. folks, how's it? Well, what's the trunk for? Taking a trip? No, Mr. Wilcox, McGee bought this trunk at an auction. You know what an auction is. Sure, that's a place where a bunch of strangers stand around and bicker about who pays the most money for something none of them really wants. Yeah, but this trunk is full of dough, Junior, I think. You got any keys with you? No, I haven't. You see, McGee, there are men who don't consider it necessary to carry four pounds of keys. Himself here always has so many keys on him, he's getting round-shouldered in the hips, Mr. Wilcox. (laughs) Well, why doesn't he use one of them to open the trunk? Because none of them seems to fit the trunk. That's the reason why I don't. (laughs) Now, let's see. This one here might be... Gee, it's a shame to let a handsome, sturdy trunk like that get looking so shabby when just a little... No, 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 no. Wait a minute. You don't have to... It's a lucky thing. I just happened to have some Johnson's wax and a cloth with me. (laughs) Let's see what it'll do for that wood and leather. Oh, now, Mr. Wilcox, you don't have to do... That, my goodness. Get away from that trunk, Junior. I got work to do. So have I. Only waxing a piece of baggage like this isn't really work. It's fun. Oh, for the love of Look, see how the Johnson's wax helps bring back the beauty of the wood, even after all this time. And see what it does for the leather? Gee whiz, it's criminal not to protect an expensive trunk like this with wax. Save it from dampness and dryness and dust. What that got to do? Why, you'd be amazed how much protection a coat of Johnson's wax gives a thing like this. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Wilcox. We amaze very slowly. Look, Waxy, get away, will you? I'm not interested in the outside of this trunk. It's the inside I want to get at. Oh, I don't think you'll find it necessary to wax the inside, pal. You see the inside. Don't gun it. Can't you forget that wax for one second? No. Well... I will say it looks a lot better already, Mr. Wilcox. Why, of course it does. You see, Johnson's Look, wife... Junior. Yeah? I don't like to be inhospitable. <laughs> but if you can't contribute more toward getting this trunk open than a lecture on wax, go home, will you? Oh, now, McGee. Hey, where'd you say you got this trunk, pal? At an auction sale. Used to belong to a rich millionaire. Say... A cousin of mine, Big Moxie Wilcox, bought a 40-year-old wooden box at an auction once, and he said it was the smartest thing he ever did in his life. Yeah? Boy, was he happy when he got home and opened it up. Yeah? 
You know what was in it? Here's your hat, Junior. And if that box was full of Johnson's wax, put it on an Amstrad. Oh, polite nothing. Any guy with my dough doesn't have to be polite. <laughs> Doggone it, I wish one of these keys had fit. Haven't we got any trunk keys in the house? Oh, someplace, I suppose. I'll ask Beulah. Oh, oh Beulah? Beulah? Somebody ball for Beulah? <laughs> Yeah, we got any trunk keys laying around, Beulah? If we have so, they ain't never come to Beulah's attention. <laughs> Where did this old trunk come from? Well, Mr. McGee bought it at an auction, Beulah. He thinks it might be full of $10 gold pieces. Mm-hmm. $10 gold pieces? What is they? <laughs> Molly, please, you're too excited about this thing. Hold yourself down a little. It might not be full of $10 gold pieces at all. It might be only $5 gold pieces. I didn't say I thought so. I said you thought so. Ma'am, if I had me a trunk, I suspicion was full of Indian pennies. I'd tear the lid off with my teeth and nails. <laughs> you wouldn't tear the lid off this one that way, Beulah. This is a genuine dreadnought trunk. They built these things to toss off the top of a stagecoach. Yes, but my point was that if it was just an old trunk between Beulah and Affluence, <laughs> I could kick a hole in with my bare feet. <laughs> What would you do with all that money, Beulah? Well, my goodness, ma'am, I tell you, I'd go right... Doggone if I know. <laughs> Anything over ten bucks, I'd get stage fright. <laughs> but I could think of something. You and Ira could really get married on a trunk full of money, couldn't you, Beulah? No, sir. What? Well, Ira, he'd be too proud to marry me if I was a rich woman. Mm-hmm. In which case, I'd dump it in the river. Because, <laughs> you see, it ain't much fun sitting in the movies holding hands with a bank book. <laughs> Not that I ever try it. Well, I'll take a chance on being unhappy, Beulah. Right now, I'm in the position of an amateur musician who's got a chance to conduct the symphony. Why, McGee, said she, shaking her tambourine. <laughs> if I can find the right key, I'll be in the money. Say, if you can find the right key, you'd be... Oh. Oh. <laughs> I love that man. <laughs> Singing Yadata Yadata. Professors of English all agree that making conversation is an art. They should hear you making conversation with me. They'd have a change of heart. When I put my arm around you and we're going for a walk, must you yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, talk, talk, talk. When we're sitting close together in a cozy taxi cab, must you yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, gab, gab, gab. Aristotle, mathematics, economics, and teachers. Then psychology, biology, photography, biography. Slow down, who cares? There's a brand new moon this evening. And the weather should be fine If you yet to day, yet to day, yet to day, yet to day Same old line I'll politely close your lips with mine Whenever I try to say a word It never gets past my throat Here's a little sample conversation I heard Pardon me if I quote 
My last pair of nylons developed a run from the knee to the toe. Do you know anyone who can get cigarettes without standing in line? Don't you think Spencer Tracy is simply divine? Shall we go to a movie, my dear? By the way, do you like the new turban I'm wearing today? Can't we find a cafe with a nice atmosphere? I would so love a steak. Did you say something, dear? You do it every time. There's a brand new moon this evening, and the weather should be fine. If you yet the chance, yet the chance, yet the chance, yet the chance, same old line. Though I'd really love to pop you, I know the only way to stop you is to close your lips with Rat of Molly, I've tried every key I own, and this lid hasn't budged an inch. Haven't you got any trunk keys hid away? No, dearie, I haven't. But there's an axe in the basement. You can chop a hole in it. Yeah, I thought of that, but there's a heavy penalty for defacing United States currency. Yeah? Yeah, if that axe should slap into one of those $10 gold pieces, I'd be in trouble. Yeah, there's that, too. Mm-hmm. And if it's full of diamond rings, you might dull the axe. Might as well think of everything. Oh, you see, I hate to call a locksmith because he'd blab all over town that McGee was in the bucks. I want to blab that myself. Come in. Hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hello, small fry. Hi, Pasteur. Cow Pasteur. <laughs> you got any trunk keys on you? No, and I left my burglar's jimmy home, too. Careless of me. McGee bought this trunk at an auction, Doctor, and he can't get it open. Probably just as well. Yeah, but he's sure it's full of money. It jingles and it's so heavy you can't lift it. Oh, that's too bad. Otherwise, he could carry it down to my office and have it x-rayed. X-rayed? My gosh, I never thought of that. I was sure you hadn't. It was too sensible an idea. Well, I guess the only answer is either break it open or call a locksmith, dear. Gosh, I hate to bust a trunk open that I paid $10 for just because... $10? For that superannuated egg crate? Brother, you're really a yokel. Did anybody ever try to sell you the Statue of Liberty? We don't talk about that, Doctor. Why not? Because we don't. That's why, Nancy. My gosh, I was merely going to present it to the government. Patriotic gesture. How would you uh, suggest getting this trunk open, Doctor? Well, I don't like to stress the obvious, but I'd find out who made the trunk, go to the local agency, and get a key. Now, that's the kind of a bright suggestion I'd have expected from you, Pastor. (laughs) They haven't made these trunks for 75 years. The alternative, then, is to get a locksmith. Or you could wait till next winter, fill the lock with cold water, and let the ice expand it open. Oh, I'd be nervous having $220,000 in the house all the time. How much? That's what I figured, Doc. $220,000 if it's full of $10 gold pieces. Or $110,000 if it's full of $5 gold pieces. That's just half as much as if it's full of tin. Oh, I see. <laughs> Uh, would you think it forward of me if I wanted to take your temperature, Sonny? Yes, I would, and you get your big fat hand off my forehead. <laughs> He's not feverish, Doctor. After all, there's a slight chance that this trunk might have money in it. For the love of Mike, why doesn't he look? I've been telling you, dumbbell, I haven't got a key that'll open it. The only key that'll fit a dreadnought trunk is a dreadnought key. And that's why I think just Molly. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying something, dearie. Huh? My little brother got locked in a trunk once, and... My mother opened it with a hairpin. Oh, don't be ridiculous. That trunk will have to be chiseled open. Don't be so sure, Gabby. Women can do more with a hairpin than... Ah, there it is, McGee. I unlocked it. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Take that end of it, Doc. When I say three, tip it over. Uh, Why don't we just raise the lid and peek in? No, no, no. It's more dramatic this way. You ready? Yep. One, two, three. (laughs) 
heavenly days. What are they? Dreadnought trunk keys. <laughs> my, my. You'll need a bigger key ring now. Oh, this is ridiculous. His money to buy his own spaniel. Oh, hey, Molly, you know what I did? Had I better sit down before you tell me? No, look, I took all those dreadnought trunkies, 7,000 of them. Yeah? I took them to a locksmith and he gave me 20 bucks for them. Well, good for you, dear. Yeah. You made a profit on your investment after all. Yeah, and because you were smart enough to open the trunk with a hairpin, I, I bought you a little present. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you, darling. <laughs> what is it? Package of hairpins. Oh. Yep. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.